Kids, I'm gonna start with two very familiar friends. It's the return of Ellie and Bunny. Now, I imagine, kids, when you are at home and you're playing with, let's say, your stuffed animals or your soldiers or whatever it is that you play, that, you know, generally these are the kinds of scenes that happen. Perhaps you're playing with Ellie and Bunny and they're just having a nice little picnic, a nice little tea party, and Bunny says, oh, that's so lovely that we have tea today. Oh, the scones are so good. Let's continue to party. And you know, you just continue on, right? Just having a lovely tea party. Or maybe even, you know, Ellie and Bunny are very adventurous types and they're going off to battle and they're the good guys and they're gonna take the next hill and defeat the bad guys and they go marching on and they fight. And yes, maybe they get injured, but then they defeat the bad guys and they win, right? That's the kind of way that I imagine you play when you play at home. What probably doesn't happen in your little imaginative play is Ellie and Bunny having a nice little tea party. Oh, isn't it lovely? Why is it so getting dark suddenly? What is that falling from the sky? Oh no, it's a meteor! <laughs> oh, they're all dead. That's probably not the kind of scene that you are imagining. Or perhaps Ellie and Bunny are going off again to battle, and they're the good guys, and they're fighting the bad guys, and all the good guys die. The end. That's probably also not the kind of thing that you imagine. Because, kids, when we imagine things, we imagine scenes of peace and beauty. We imagine scenes of good defeating bad. That's the kind of thing we imagine. That's the things that we hope for and long for. When we cry out to God, we cry out for God to make things right. We cry out to God to make good happen and for wrong to be defeated. And in today's passage in Psalm 82, um, the psalmist is crying out to God because the psalmist sees lots of bad happening around them and seemingly God is doing nothing about it. And so the psalmist cries out to God, God, please make things right. Help the things that I imagine in my head to happen and become true, that good will prevail, that peace will happen. And so kids, I hope that you continue to listen in to our sermon today, but that's really very right for us to cry out to God in that way. When we see wrong around us, that we cry out to God for God to make wrong right, to defeat what is evil and to let good um, be victorious in the end. So I hope you continue to listen to me and um, hear what God has to say through his passage today. Thanks for listening in. Our main point today from today's passage is, is very simple, and I hope it sticks in your head. And it's, it's this, that God brings justice, so let's cry out for justice and seek justice. God brings justice, so let's cry out for justice and seek justice. We feel it right now. We have so many social problems around us. We have so much disagreement about how to solve those social problems. Heck, we can't even agree what those social problems are. And let's just state the obvious right now. Our country can't agree if racism is a social problem today or not. And for those who can agree that racism is a problem, it doesn't take long to begin to dis disagree how serious of a problem it is. And for us as Christians, 
we begin, we have to begin with God's word, and we have to allow the truth of God's word to shape us. That's our starting point. And our starting point is to allow the Holy Spirit in us to convict us and to challenge our preconceived notions of what is right and wrong. From the very beginning of creation, the temptation for humanity has been to define for themselves what is right and wrong, rather than to trust God to define what is right and wrong. And in that process of of allowing God to challenge our preconceived notions of what is right and wrong, we have to be willing to listen to other points of views. We have to be able to listen well enough to state what another person's perspective is. We have to listen to God and others, not just with our heads, but also with our hearts. We have to activate our ears, our intellects, our emotions, and our empathy as we seek to understand what God is saying and what others are saying. Today's sermon is titled, Give Justice, because that is literally the cry of the psalmist to God. And thus far in our sermon series in Summer in the Psalms, we've looked at two psalms of lament and one prophetic hymn calling God's people to um, obey God's covenant that he has set with them. And today's psalm is actually part lament and part prophecy. The psalmist is lamenting the lack of justice around him, and the psalmist is calling for God's um, for the rulers of God's people, particularly to seek justice, just as God's commands indicate. Again, somehow in God's plan for us as a church, we have landed in this very dark book three of the book of Psalms while our nation is in turmoil. And so let us just again ask God to speak to our hearts at One Ancient Hope as we go through um, these Psalms. But let's dig into today's Psalm specifically and see what Uh, God would teach us about thinking um, and acting biblically in these times. First thing I want to point out about this psalm is that it's actually a great great example of a chiasm in in the word of God. A chiasm is a literary device that many um, Old Testament writers use, particularly in poetry. And the way it... uh, the way it, it plays out is that the verse one, I'm just going to put it this way. It'd be best if I had a graphic, but I don't. Verse one correlates with verse eight. Verse two correlates with verse seven. Verses three and four correlate with verse six. And then verse five is kind of the center of the psalm and, and draws our attention to it for that reason. And so again, we'll, we'll, we're going to look at how those verses correlate and what it teaches us. And so the first thing we see, and, and again, it's, it's the first point of the main point, is that God brings justice. Verses 1 and 8 show us this. The chiasm brings our attention to the first and the last verse because, again, right there we see the cry for justice from the psalmist. Verse 1 says, God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. And verse 8 is that cry, Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. The psalmist in the first verse and the last verse is really setting up this scene of calling God to be the judge of humanity. And verse one is really setting up this scene that would have been very familiar in ancient Near Eastern times where judges commonly sat during trial as they heard arguments and then stood to pronounce judgment after hearing the arguments. And so verse one paints this picture of God standing, presiding over the assembly and rendering his judgment after hearing the arguments. And so we know that God judges rulers of the earth, um, all kinds of rulers of the earth. 
and how and judging specifically for how they are ruled over the people for which they have authority. And the psalmist uses this, this term, gods, with little g, uh, to describe rulers who are meant to represent God. Whether they believe in God or not, they are meant to represent God. God who is big G, the one who has created all things, the one true God. Now I say this often when we talk about rulers, is that almost everyone has some authority over someone else. It's not just the fact that there's this one person who was elected and has a certain authority as president over the whole nation. It's also that um, every parent has authority over their children. Every teacher has authority over their students. Even you grad students who teach classes have some manner of authority over your students, even though you may not feel like you're that different from them. Every small business owner has authority over his employees. Even older siblings have a certain authority over their younger siblings when they're young. So even the youngest among us can understand this this idea of having some kind of authority, some kind of responsibility over someone else. Now we don't know in this psalm which rulers, rulers the psalmist is talking about specifically. Perhaps it's rulers at the highest level of the nation of Israel or perhaps rulers and leaders at every level were indicated here. Now as Christians, again, our starting point is, is vastly different from most people. We believe in one God who is creator, who is our father, and who is judge over all the earth. This means for us that God loves us, yes, but also that God holds us accountable as a good parent would for all of our actions. Now this chiasm, again, starts and ends with this idea of God being the one who who judges and brings justice. And yet our attention is, again, brought to verse five, which is the center of this um, psalm and this chiasm. And, and, And verse five says this, The gods, again, the rulers, know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. And what this verse is saying, and this psalm really, is that without just rulers, the result is darkness. And God is a God of order, not anarchy. One theologian said this, pervasive injustice will inevitably result in the collapse of society. The theme we're gonna see overall in this passage is this, is that divine intervention is needed because of human failure. And so we hear in this psalm very clearly that the human rulers are failing and the psalms is calling out to the judge, to the creator, to the God, to bring about justice. In our men's Bible study, on Tuesday mornings, we're going through 1 Samuel. And on the surface of things, it's about how God is setting up a theology of the kingdom of God. But we're also seeing this theme of dependence on God expressed as obedience to God come through again and again. In 1 Samuel, we see Israel sinfully longing for a king because they simply will not trust God as king. Yet God graciously accommodates their desire, even though it's based on distrust of him, and they grant him, grant them a king and a, and, and a system of monarchy, but really in order to point them eventually to the fact that human kings will fail and point to the one true king who will come, the king of kings, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
God intervenes when human fails. And that is literally the gospel message as well. That is Jesus on the cross. That humans in their failure to obey God, in their failure to worship God, in their failure to recognize God as the creator and maker and redeemer of all, their failure to recognize and live a life of dependence and obedience to God results in God himself through Jesus Christ coming into this world to take on human flesh, to live perfect life, to die on the cross for the sins of the world, to be under the power of death for three days, then to rise from the dead, to defeat the power of sin and death forever and ever, and then to ascend to the heavens in order to reign over all the earth, and yet waiting to come back to restore all of the earth um, under the new heaven and new earth. That is the hope that we have when we see that human fails and God intervenes. And God's heart as judge is not just to judge, not just to punish. We see the very last verse in this uh, psalm is, for all the nations are your inheritance. The work of Christ on the cross show us God's heart of love and God's heart of justice. God's justice is not just a desire to punish, but rather a desire to lovingly and justly reconcile all nations to himself. His heart is for all people, all nations to enter into a covenant relationship with him. We see that God's desire is, yes, to bring justice, but that also it means that he desires to bring all nations to himself. But because God brings justice, it means for us, and the psalmist illustrates this, that we are to cry out for justice in this broken world. We move on in the next part of the Psalms, the next part of the chiasm, verses two and seven. Verse two says, how long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? And then verse seven says, but you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. There is a reason why the Bible has always appealed to the oppressed. There is a consistent message throughout the Bible of calling for justice against oppressors and unjust rulers. On a most basic level, the psalmist is calling for God in verse two to stop rulers from showing favoritism to the wealthy and the powerful. For God to act. He's asking, why are you not acting, God? And the psalmist makes clear that the gods in verse seven are just mere mortals who will, will fall one day and will die one day and will be held accountable before God the judge. So for those who feel oppressed by rulers, by the system, they can cry out to God who is just, who will judge, and who is creating a perfectly just society one day in the new heaven and new earth. Most likely for our church, not many of you feel oppressed by the system, by unjust rulers. But I know there are those in our church who do feel that way. And I want you to hear, please know that God hears your cries, welcomes your cries of injustice carried out against you specifically. Know that God is a God who is making all things new, that he will make all wrongs right. And that is the new society that God is in the process of creating even right now through our Lord and King Jesus, a king who would lay down his life 
so that people might experience the riches of his kingdom and of relationship with him. All of us who have put our faith in Christ and his work on the cross for our sins, whether we are the oppressed or the oppressor, whether we are the lion or the lamb, we will lie down together in this new society that God is creating. That is the hope of the gospel. So if you are one who feels oppressed in this church, in this society, cry out to God as God calls you to. But for those of us who perhaps do not feel oppressed, we can still cry out to God with the oppressed against the injustices that we see in our society. We can be in solidarity with the oppressed because we know the deeper truth that all humans have been oppressed by Satan, by sin, by death. We can be in solidarity with the oppressed because we know that through Christ, we have been delivered from sin that drives all oppression. We can empathize with the oppressed because we know an even more powerful and more dark oppression that affects not just a minority of people, but every single human being that has ever lived. Even Jesus, who was perfect and sinless, still experienced every temptation that man has faced, experienced the misery of this sinful world, and indeed experienced death itself. God brings justice, so cry out for justice. But God also says, God brings justice, so let us seek justice. Verses three and four say this, defend the weak and the fatherless, Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Note, these are all um, imperatives, commands, indicating what human rulers should have done, but didn't. And then verse six, which again correlates with verse three here in the chiasm says, I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the most high. And we'll see in a little bit what is, what is the meaning of that. But first of all, the problem in the church is we have a rather limited view of God's holiness and a rather limited vision of the society which God wants to build. Jesus was always pushing Jews to interpret God's laws more broadly, expanding the definition of God's holiness and the goodness he calls humans towards. This psalm points us to the truth described in scripture using today's language of we are called to to know the individual sin that we participate in, but also the institutional sin that we participate in. It's not just that individual individual rulers don't defend the weak and and the fatherless, don't uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, don't rescue the weak and the needy, don't deliver them from the hand of the wicked. It's also that ruler after ruler in Israel generation after generation has created a culture and institution of not defending the weak and the fatherless, not upholding the cause of the poor and the oppressed, not rescuing the weak and the needy, not delivering them from the hand of the wicked. The Psalm teaches us that it's not just that individual rulers had to change, although that is true, but that the whole Israelite society had to change that what had become baked into the way that Israel operate had to change. The individual 
and the institution, the individual and the society had to change. And that is the work that God is doing in this world. There is implied in this psalm that it is even more grievous, and this is where verse six comes in, it is even more grievous for Israelite rulers who have this relationship with God, who have this covenant with God, who know the commands of God to guide them, that it is even more grievous that the Israelite rulers who have all this still yet will oppress the weak and the fatherless, the poor and the oppressed. And so it is with us as the Christian church. The church is supposed to be the expression of the kingdom of God in this world, in this broken world. The Christian church is supposed to lead the way in living out what a just society is, the just society that God is intending to create forever and ever in this world through the new heaven and new earth. And though we believe that this broken world will pass away one day, it does not mean that the good we do individually or institutionally is meaningless. God will somehow honor those efforts if we do it by faith and to his glory, that somehow God will translate those efforts individually and institutionally into the new heaven and new earth. You may have heard of the Proverbs 31 woman, but I want to talk to you about something else from Proverbs 31. The Proverbs 31 believer, very much less well-known. And let me read to you what Proverbs 31, verses 1 through 9 says. The sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. It is not for kings, Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for, be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. I hope that we can strive through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, to be a Proverbs 31 believer. And I want you to remember, I'm going to bring my friends back up here. I want you to remember Ellie and Piggy right now, uh, Ellie and Bunny. Ellie and Piggy is something else, and kids, you might know what I'm talking about. Um, I want you to remember Ellie and Bunny. And I want you to remember the kind of play that they imagined, a play where it was scenes of beauty, of peace, of good being victorious. I want you to remember that the gospel message, the message of what God has done through Jesus Christ and what God is doing through the Holy Spirit in the church is what enables us to have godly imagination for this world, to use godly imagination to imagine the peace, the shalom, the flourishing, the good that God wants to bring about in this world. And then when you remember that, when you recapture that kind of godly imagination, then go explore, go learn how to be a part of this city locally. Let our justice be an expression of our faith in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Yes, we must come to know our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we must believe in the gospel. And yet when we have been redeemed, when we have understood our beloved status through Jesus Christ, then what we're called to do is to go out into, into this world to love our neighbor as ourselves. It is the most simple of commands to us, and yet the most difficult. And we do so well in intellectualizing away what that means. We want for others what we want for ourselves. Let us imagine that kind of world, that kind of society, and may the gospel that we so cherish drive us to not only proclaim the gospel, but to live it out through our everyday actions. God brings justice, so let's cry out for justice and seek justice. Let's pray.